to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. Uh, I'm reading this morning from the 21st chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and if you want to stay ahead of me or catch up to me. If you want to mark Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 8, I'm going to go to the Old Testament in the sermon. Hear these words from the 21st chapter of Matthew's gospel. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone This was the Lord's doing, and it was amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard his parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's cool to come to work here. There is a talented and... and great staff to work with and they're all so smart and and so capable in the the callings that we share together as a church staff and I do some management by walking around um, secretly I'm looking for a shortcut from my office to this space without turning and getting lost in a hallway and I'm going to find it one day I promise and one of the weird phenomena is I'll walk past everybody's office, you know, in the hallway in the office building, and everybody's got their Bible open. They're reading their Bibles. They're studying their Bibles. They're getting ready for a Bible study. What do they think we are, a church? For heaven's sakes, I've never been around a staff that works on Bible studies as hard as this church staff works. And you can come and you can sit down and you just want to be innocent. And they're talking about the holiness of God. It's amazing. It's scary. Because they're all smarter than I am. And I have to fake it. I spend a lot of time mumbling. Or I can really fake them off because none of them read Hebrew. Yes, got them. Marie and Becky have been doing an Old Testament study. It's an Old Testament study about Joshua and the children of Israel going into the promised land. And and I get to listen to them prepare and they are doing some preparation. They are doing deep work to to share this either live or um, Kyle's got a cool place you can go and watch it. And I'm always harassing them that they need to do some New Testament Bible studies because the Old Testament is smoke and fire and sacrifice and blood and wrath and commandments. 
I want some New Testament grace. I want some love. I want some Jesus. But they're not going to do it. They're going to Old Testament me. What do you do when Jesus goes Old Testament on you? After all, that's the only Bible he had. But what do you do when Jesus starts talking about wrath and sacrifice and commandments and law? How do you respond? Because he did it right here in our text. And unfortunately, there are two Old Testament images just compressed side by side in the 21st chapter or the end of the 21st chapter of Matthew. And I'm going to confess to you that the scriptures we read throughout October, at least the gospel readings, all come from the last week of Jesus's ministry. He's entered Jerusalem at what we call Palm Sunday. He's between Palm Sunday and Good Friday. And these parables he teaches are hard to hear. Because as Jesus faces the cross, those that need mercy and those that need grace, he becomes more merciful and more gracious too. And those that need to be straightened out, it seems as though Jesus is becoming a little more harsh with his pronouncements and what he says to them and says about them. So he says, have you not heard the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and this is the Lord's doing. It's amazing in his eyes. But then he adds something to it. He says, the one who falls on this stone will be broken. Ouch. But the one upon whom the stone falls, the Greek says, will be pulverized. Ouch. We don't want to hear hurt stuff. When Chris was telling his story last week about the skateboard accident and his falling and getting all scraped up, do you know what you did when you heard it? You said, oh. I was sitting right there and I could hear you saying, oh, and I could hear you flinching because you experienced that pain. So Jesus said, you've got a choice as you experience me. You fall on the rock, you confess your sins, and you are broken. And I don't know any Jesus follower who's come to Jesus after a time of sin, after a time of being wayward, that hasn't come as a broken individual and hasn't thrown themselves upon the rock and in some cases the altar of the church and begged God's love and mercy to fall on them. Or... You cannot encounter Jesus this way. You can say, "Uh uh-uh. Not going to give my life to you, Lord. Going to do my thing. Going to take my chances. 
because I'm not sure this Bible is inspired. I'm not sure what the church is saying is legit. I'm not sure that 2,000 years of Christian history should be listened to. I'm going to take my chances and you meet that rock that pulverizes in eternity. Friends, you are going to encounter Jesus Christ. Which one are you going to take? Being broken or being pulverized? Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That doesn't sound like love and mercy and grace. That sounds like something we have not heard before. But again, it's in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, the 8th chapter, the 14th verse... He will become a sanctuary and a stone one strikes against. Same word. He's either a stone or a sanctuary. What's the difference? The difference is how you encounter God. Are you going to encounter him as a sinner in need of love and mercy and grace? Or are you going to stand boldly and say, "Uh uh-uh, God, I'm going to do it my way. Isaiah is saying he'll become a sanctuary, he'll become a stone that one strikes against. For both the house of Israel, he will become a rock that one stumbles over, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall, they shall be broken, they shall be snared, they shall be taken. Isaiah is describing what we call the Babylonian captivity, two rocks. How are you going to encounter Jesus? But he said something prior to that. He told a story. And it was the story he told that got the chief priest and the Pharisees so angry. He told a story using another image that's in the Old Testament. Listen to another parable Jesus said. I'm back in Matthew 21, 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized the slaves, beat one, killed another one, and stoned another. He sent out other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Jesus says, now... When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they, the Pharisees and the chief priests said, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at harvest time. It's an Old Testament image. Isaiah again, Isaiah 5. And now the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. 
What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste and it shall not be pruned or hoed. And it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. And I will command the clouds and they will rain, rain, no more rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the people of Judah. They are his pleasant planning. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed, righteousness, but he heard a cry. And when Jesus is telling this story, and the chief priests and the Pharisees said, he, these evil tenants deserve death. Jesus is agreeing with them and he's saying he is the rock and he is the one that's going to bring punishment. But look why they're punished. God wants people that produce fruits. What are you going to do with this? Jesus went Old Testament on us. We got rocks falling on people. We got vineyards being taken away from people. We got punishment and justice going on. How does this help us grow stronger? How does it help us develop stronger faith, stronger family, and stronger finances? It does when you realize that what the essence of this is about is stewardship. What? How did I bring that dirty word into the sermon? It's about stewardship. It's about how you take care of God's stuff. You didn't know you were in charge of taking care of God's stuff, did you? All this time, you've been busy taking care of your stuff. I will tell you, if in the last 20 years, you invested in storage and alarm systems, you would not have lost money in the stock market. Storage and alarm systems. Have you seen all these storage places? Man, they're the old-fashioned U-Haul places with the doors, and you stuff your stuff in the stuff container. They've also got air-conditioned stuff container. So if you outgrow your stuff, or if your stuff outgrows you, you can take your stuff, and you can get your stuff stored. You can get alarm systems to protect your stuff, because it's your stuff. My thesis is all an alarm system does is tell you somebody is broken in and they're trying to take your stuff. It doesn't really protect your stuff. It just lets you know that somebody's after your stuff. God says, it's not your stuff. And you go, is too. It's my stuff. It's my vineyard. I planted it. I hoed it. I tilled it, I trimmed it, I harvested the grapes, I crushed the grapes, I watched the grapes get fermented, I drank the wine. It's my stuff. Told you, two passages stuffed together, Old Testament. You got to stay away from the Old Testament, y'all. Jesus in the New Testament tells another story. This one's in Luke. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. In other words, Jesus, tell my brother to give me my stuff. But he said to him, friend who sent me to be a judge or an arbiter over you. And he said to them, take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. One's life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. And he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly and he thought to himself, what should I do for I have no place to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And then I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who gets your stuff? When you're gone. I was taking class in seminary on the parables of Jesus. We had to translate the parables out of Greek and then we'd do the exegesis and we'd read all these books and it was a glorious class. It was taught by Dr. David Perkins who was a brand new, wet behind the ear, just got his PhD, just came to the seminary to teach us professor. And it was on a Friday afternoon. You don't want to be a seminary student taking a class at one o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday afternoon, especially a New Testament class. You can take Old Testament on Friday afternoon, but New Testament just puts you in a bad mood. So he was lecturing and he got to this parable and he was talking and we we did Joachim Jeremias and we did C.H. Dodd and we did William Barclay just to prove we could do some of those other people in English. And we were doing all the exegesis and Dr. Perkins said, I want to illustrate this parable to you. He's doing it to a bunch of people that are either working on their master's degrees or they're doing it as a doctoral seminar. We have spent thousands of dollars on books. We go late Friday afternoon to the old bookstore on Decatur Street in New Orleans to see what preacher has quit, giving his books to the old bookstore so we can go buy old books. We love our books. I love our, my books. And Dr. Perkins looked at us and he said, ladies and gentlemen, you don't own your books. And we all glowered back at him. What do you mean we don't own our books? I'll show you the receipt for my books. I can tell you where I bought my books. I can tell you what shelf the book's on. It is my book. As a matter of fact, in my life, I had two stamps. One of them had an ink pad, and I would go boom, boom, open the book, boom. said, personal property of Doug DeGraffenry. And I'd stamp the front of the book, the back of the book. I'd even stamp the side of the book so people knew I had that stamp. And they could see not only is that Doug's book, but Doug has a very nice stamp. Look at that font. I also had one of those embossing stamps, you know, the, the, the cool stamp that lawyers have and notary publics have that they slide it on a piece of paper and they go... And it embosses it, and it said, from the library of Doug DeGraffenried. 
and I'd double stamp my books. I'd ink stamp them, I'd emboss them. So if you got my book, you would know you needed to return your book to me or I'd pray some Old Testament wrath down on you for stealing my book. It's my book. And we were all looking at this professor like, you're nuts. It's my book. We talked about it leaving class. Seminary, you don't have or you didn't have classes on Monday because you were usually out someplace preaching and you had to use Monday to get back to the seminary. So you had classes on Tuesday through Friday. It's Monday. I'm working on a paper for another class I'm taking Romans, and I pulled one of my commentaries down off my shelf and started opening the commentary. It's a commentary on Romans. It was published in the year 1816. It's very old, very leather, and it's very mine. And I plopped it open, and it opened to just this front little section, and I looked. And I'm the fifth preacher who's owned that book. There are four other preachers' names in that book. Ever since that Monday afternoon when I threw that book open, I've stopped writing my name in books because they're not mine. I just happen to be using them. I'll invite you to the Metroplex of Gibsland, Louisiana, and I will show you the house I live in right now. Beautiful little white house, just real simple. It's not mine. When I leave today, I'm going to leave in a Toyota Highlander. It's not mine. It's not mine. Nothing I have is mine. Not my faith, not my family, not my finances. It's not mine. It's been loaned to me by God. Even my life has been loaned to me by God. It's not mine. I'm called to be a steward, to take care of that which God has given me. Jesus talked about the vineyard to the Jews. He said, the vineyard isn't yours, but look how you've treated it. The church is not yours. Your faith is not yours. Your family, your finances, all on loan to you. That's a hard lesson to learn. It's a hard lesson to live out of because we want to be happy and we want to be proud and we want to show everybody our stuff. But when you learn that lesson, that it's all on loan to you, You start taking better care of it. And y'all, it'll stop controlling you. Do you know people that are who who they're controlled by their stuff? Yeah, you know them. 
The first church I ever pastored without training wheels was the Kenner Methodist Church. I was an associate pastor for three years, and then they said, Doug, you want your own church? And I said, sure, I'll take one. And so they sent me to the Kenner Methodist Church, and I had a delightful four years there. Lived on Roosevelt Boulevard in Kenner, Louisiana. Roosevelt Boulevard's on Metairie Ridge, one of the highest points in New Orleans or the New Orleans Metroplex. It is a whopping three feet below sea level. Mm. The buses would go down Roosevelt Boulevard and shake you out of the bed because everything shakes on that jello foundation. I was at the end of runway, what was then 1028, it's now 1129, I don't know how the runway moved. And Delta and Eastern both had 615 departures to Atlanta from New Orleans. I never had to set an alarm clock. Delta or Eastern was going to wake me up. It was just a neat thing. I was a single preacher at the time, and I have stories because I live next door to the church gossip, and you'll like those stories when I unpack them. But it was just me and my cat named Boudreaux. Boudreaux was an attack cat. Bishop called, and I was on a committee that said, Doug, committee's meeting. You need to come to Baton Rouge. We're going to start meeting on Friday afternoon. We'll stay Friday night. We'll meet all day Saturday. I'll have you home by five or six o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And when the bishop calls and says, come to a meeting, you say, yes, bishop, I'll be right there. So I went to the meeting, survived the meeting, came home, got out of my car, walked to the back door. And I thought, you know, that back door opened a lot easier than it usually opens. Usually I have to fumble with the key. Hmm. Walked in the laundry room. There was Boudreaux looking at me. Like, you ain't going to believe what happened to us, Bubba. Looked down at him and said, okay, I know you're hungry. I'll get your food. Walked into the kitchen, and I thought, hmm, kitchen's different. There used to be a microwave there. When I left Friday morning, I wonder where it is. Boudreaux, where'd you put the microwave? Walked in the den. This is different. My television's not there. And I think my stereo's gone too. Walked back to the bedroom to show you I once had good hearing and good eyesight. I had a 13-inch color TV sitting right there on my bookcase. My, my whopping 13-inch TV's gone. That's interesting. I think I've been burglarized. And I looked around. And not only had they stolen all my stuff that you plug in, they went into my closet. They stole my shoes. Who steals a preacher's shoes? They stole my suits. Man, and I still have my leisure suits from the 70s. They were going to make a comeback. They cleaned me out. Y'all, they got into my dresser and they took the stuff you keep in your dresser. While I lived at that parsonage, it was burglarized three separate times. The last time it was burglarized, I was coming in the back door. They were going out the front door. 
David Perkins' lesson was still ringing in my ears. Nothing's yours. And some thief in Kenner, Louisiana, put the exclamation mark on it. It's not yours, Doug. It's how I've lived. It's how I preach. It's how I'll talk to you about stewardship. That if we want to grow stronger in our faith, if we want to go stronger in our families, if we want to grow stronger in our finances, we've got to start with that first idea of stewardship. Everything is on loan to you. Appreciate what God's given you. Care for what God's given you. But understand, it's not your stuff. And that's why we come to communion. Because sometimes Jesus says tough things to us. Sometimes Jesus says to us, look, you can fall on me and be broken or I'll fall on you and you'll be pulverized. Your choice. We go, wait a minute, Jesus. He says to us, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. For those who seek to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose their lives for my sake will find life. It's paradoxical, y'all. So we come to this table. And we hear one say to us, this is my body broken for you. And this is my blood shed for you. And we don't necessarily understand what all that means, but we understand it means that Jesus Christ has now entered into us. He walks with us. He strengthens us. He allows us to live in such a way that we can trust him with our stuff that we can trust him and walk with him so we can strengthen our faith and our family and our finances. Thanks for listening to The Refuge Podcast. To find out more about The Refuge and Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityruston.org.